Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 312. It's titled, What the Fed's New Policy Means for Your Finances. In January 2012, the U.S. Federal Reserve, the U.S. Central Bank, did something that it had never done before. The Federal Reserve Open Market Committee issued its first statement on longer-run goals and monetary policy strategy. That's often referred to as a consensus statement. Now, how is that remarkable? Telling people what your goals are? What is the purpose of your organization? Well, prior to that, the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee, particularly under Chair Alan Greenspan, was deliberately opaque so that financial markets wouldn't overreact to whatever the Federal Reserve stated. This cryptic form of communication Never coming out really saying what you're thinking came to be known as Fed speak or Green speak. In 2007, on 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl interviewed Alan Greenspan. Stahl mentioned how Greenspan in public was inscrutable whenever Congress asked about interest rates. He resorted to indecipherable Delphic dialect known as Fed speak. Greenspan responded, I would engage in some form of syntax destruction, which sounded as though I were answering the question, but in fact had not. We can contrast Fed speak with the Federal Reserve's 2012 consensus statement, which read, the committee seeks to explain its monetary policy decisions to the public as clearly as possible. Such clarity facilitates well-informed decision-making by households and businesses, reduces economic and financial uncertainty, increases the effectiveness of monetary policy, and enhances transparency and accountability, which are essential in a democratic society. Wow, clarity facilitates great decision-making. I thought about that this weekend. We had some friends over at our cabin to camp in our backyard. This couple has two children, five and two. They had never been camping before. These kids are on a set schedule. They go to bed at 7.30. Their rooms are dark with blackout curtains. They play white noise. And they did on this camping trip. A blackout tent. White noise. Well, the youngest son, after being there for a couple days, it became pretty clear his favorite question was why. Why? Why? That's what we want from the Federal Reserve. To explain what they're doing and why are they doing it. And they have done a much better job of that. How refreshing it is to have clarity around our goals, our personal goals, our family goals, business, charitable goals. In early 2019, the Federal Reserve began a review 
including a listening tour where they went around the country as part of a process to, as Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell said in a speech last week, quote, to assess the monetary policy strategy, tools, and communications that would better foster achievement of our congressionally assigned goals of maximum employment and price stability. Congressionally assigned goals. What are they for the Federal Reserve? Stable prices, moderate long-term interest rates, and maximum employment. That's outlined right there at the beginning of their consensus statement. I have goals, objectives for money for the rest of us, including money for the rest of us plus. It's to help individuals become better, more confident investors. To save time, to have the tools to save time to understand what is going on with financial markets and the economy. And to have a sense of community as we take this financial journey together. Powell continued in his speech, because the the economy is always evolving, the FOMC strategy for achieving its goals, our policy framework, must adapt to meet the new challenges that are arising. We have goals and we have strategies to achieve those goals. In graduate school and throughout my business career, I have returned again and again to the work of Michael Porter on strategy. Porter says that strategy, and I'm paraphrasing, comprises the activities we choose to engage in and the activities we choose to not engage in. The activities we choose, we seek to create a unique and valuable position, often because those activities fit together tightly. They're reinforcing, there's linkages. That set of activities becomes so entwined that it's difficult for others to replicate. When I launched Money for the Rest of Us and Money for the Rest of Us Plus, my strategy was just create more content. Well, people like the free podcasts. I'll provide some extra content that's not free. Now I'm more thoughtful. I want to provide better content and tools with more clarity, more comprehensive guides. Those guides are free. Those are my activities that together hopefully lead to individuals becoming better, more confident investors to save time and have a sense of community. Federal Reserve is doing the same thing. They're looking at their activities. Should they be doing other things? Or should there be some adjustments to the tools they use, to the policies they use in seeking stable prices, moderate long-term interest rates, and maximum employment. In his speech last week, Jay Powell provided an economic review. He pointed out that for 40 years, the biggest problem facing the U.S. economy was high inflation. The prices of goods and services were rising too quickly. Households and businesses expected high inflation and acted as if inflation was going to be high. Powell said inflation demanded a clear focus on restoring the credibility of the FOMCs, the Federal Open Market Committees, which is the committee that jointly decides on the level, the policy rate and other activities and choices the Federal Reserve makes in trying to accomplish its goals. So inflation demanded a clear focus on restoring the credibility of the FOMC's commitment to price stability. Chair Paul Volcker brought the focus to bear, and the Volcker disinflation with the continuing stewardship of Alan Greenspan led to the stabilization of inflation and inflation expectations in the 1990s at around 2%. That was followed by a long period of economic stability 
known as the Great Moderation. Powell said, quote, before the Great Moderation, expansions typically ended in overheating and rising inflation. But since then, prior to the current pandemic-induced downturn, a series of historically long expansions have been more likely to end with episodes of financial instability, prompting essential efforts to substantially increase the strength and resilience of the financial system. In other words, too much debt, too much leverage that led to banking crisis, debt crisis. We discussed that in recent episodes. The Basel III banking regulatory framework was an outgrowth of a banking crisis, and the purpose was to restore financial system resiliency. Powell pointed out by the early 2000s, most central banks had adopted a policy of inflation targeting. The U.S., the goal was 2%. And as part of inflation targeting, it meant increased communication and transparency. So households and businesses knew what the Fed was doing and why they were doing it and could make more informed financial judgments. Now, it's just not, a, it's not an exclusive focus on inflation. There's still the focus on employment, but there is that goal. It's an inflation targeting goal. Powell said that 2012 consensus statement was a significant milestone, reflecting lessons learned from fighting high inflation as well as from experience around the world with flexible inflation targeting. The Federal Reserve decided to undertake a comprehensive review of its policies and tools and communication because there's been some notable economic developments since 2012. Powell highlighted four of these key economic developments in his speech. The first the longer-run economic growth rate of the U.S. economy is slowed. Powell pointed out that the median estimate of potential growth from participants on the Federal Open Market Committee, so annual real growth of gross domestic product, GDP, GDP being the monetary value of output, what's produced in goods and services, has fallen from 2.5%. That was the median estimate in 2012. Now we're down to about 1.8%. Economic growth is slowing because there's been slower population growth, an aging population, but there's also, and Powell finds this troubling, a decline in productivity growth. Productivity being how efficiently workers produce goods and services. That rate of improvement is slowing. Worker population is not falling, nor is productivity falling. It's just that they're not growing as quickly as they were. That's the first economic development. The second is linked to it. Lower long-term economic growth has led to lower interest rates, particularly the real interest rate, net of the impact of inflation. There is something known as the equilibrium real interest rate, sometimes known as R star. This is a rate that is consistent with the economy operating at full strength and having stable inflation. And the Federal Reserve seeks to match its policy rate over the long term, its average equal to that real rate of interest, that R star. But that rate is falling. Sometimes if that short-term policy rate, which is known as the Fed funds rate, that the Federal Reserve is higher than that equilibrium real rate of interest if the Fed is trying to slow the economy down because it's overheating. And if they're trying to boost the economy, they'll set it below that equilibrium real rate of interest. But the neutral federal funds rate is the rate that's supposed to equal it. 
Well, their estimate of what that is has fallen from 4.25% in 2012 down to 2.5% today. Now, that includes inflation expectations. So if we back out their 2% inflation goal, that means the real neutral Fed funds rate that is supposed to equal the unobservable neutral real rate of interest has fallen from 2.25% down to 0.5%. Why does that even matter? Well, that equilibrium real rate of interest is approaching zero. Zero is known as the effective lower bound. The Federal Reserve does not want to lower their policy rate to below zero, so it's negative. Some central banks have done so, but there's cost to doing that. With that effective lower bound, there's less room for the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates when the economy is slowing, to combat a slowing economy, to try to spur lending and investment by households and businesses. It's like if you're kayaking or canoeing in a river, and if you get to a point in the river where the water is really shallow, the canoe or kayak scrapes the bottom, and you can get stuck. You don't go as fast. So conventional paddling doesn't work. Instead of paddling, sometimes just stick the, the paddle in the water and push the canoe or kayak. That's what central banks are seeing. As productivity has slowed, as population growth has slowed, interest rates have fallen. There's less of a reservoir for central banks to cut interest rates and to have an impact. That means during recessions, there's more downward pressure on inflation, more potentially deflation, and unemployment could go higher. The third economic development is the great moderation has led to record-long expansions with the unemployment rate near 50-year lows. And it was near a 50-year low for close to two years before the pandemic hit. The employment gains have been shared widely, Powell pointed out. He said the Black and Hispanic employment rates reached record lows, and the differentials between these rates and the white unemployment rate narrowed to their lowest levels on record. The fourth economic development is record low unemployment did not trigger higher inflation. Just as there's a real neutral rate of interest, R-star, that leads to the economy operating at full strength with stable inflation, there's also something known as U-star, which is the natural rate of unemployment. The unemployment rate is at a level that everyone that wants a job can get a job, but it's not at a level that leads to capacity constraints and upward wage pressures to where we get inflation because there's not enough workers. What they have found is that natural unemployment rate has also fallen. The median estimates of Federal Open Market Committee participants for the, the natural unemployment rate has fallen from 5.5% in 2012 to 4.1% at present. We've not seen inflation as unemployment fell to record lows. And the good news is we've seen real wages actually increase broadly until the pandemic hit. So the outcome of these four economic developments, lower economic growth, lower interest rates, lower unemployment rates without leading to inflation, is inflation has fallen, but it's fallen below the Federal Reserve's 2% target. From 2000 through 2009, the average U.S. inflation rate was 2.56%. From 2010 through 2019, the average annual inflation rate has been 1.77%. They have fallen short of their target. Why is that a concern? Powell said, many find it counterintuitive that the Fed would want to push up inflation. After all, low and stable inflation is essential for a well-functioning economy. 
And we are certainly mindful that higher prices for essential items such as food, gasoline, and shelter add to the burdens faced by many families, especially those struggling with lost jobs and incomes. However, he continued, inflation that is persistently too low can pose serious risk to the economy. Inflation that runs below its desired level can lead to an unwelcome fall in longer-term inflation expectations, which in turn can pull actual inflation even lower, resulting in an adverse cycle of ever lower inflation and inflation expectations. If households and businesses get anchored to ever lower levels of inflation, that means interest rates will be lower and lower, which means central banks will have an even more difficult time combating economic slowdowns by adjusting their policy rate. It's like the river water keeps getting shallower and shallower so the canoe can't head down the river anymore that zero lower bound. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Federal Reserve Chair Richard Clarida, in a speech on August 31, 2020, said that inflation expectations are, of course, not directly observed and must be imperfectly inferred from surveys, financial market data, and econometric models. 
Each of these sources contains noise as well as signal, and they can and sometimes do give contradictory readings. We don't really know what inflation expectations are. Now, we can look at the yield on Treasury inflation protection securities and compare that to the nominal yield on Treasuries. For example, right now, the average difference between a 10-year tip and the 10-year Treasury is about 1.8%, similar for five- and seven-year tips. That's known as the break-even inflation rate. But that in itself can be broken down. Some work by Don Kim, Kate Walsh, and Min Wei for the Federal Reserve said that break-even inflation rate, that 1.8% now, consists of an expected inflation plus an inflation risk premium, some additional compensation investors demand for unexpected inflation, and a tips liquidity premium. There's times when tips just aren't as liquid as treasuries, and investors want additional compensation for that lack of liquidity. When tips were first issued decades ago, the real yield on those tips was much higher because people weren't sure how these new bonds worked. And during different periods, such as March, real yield on tips jumped because there was less liquidity. And because real yields jumped for this liquidity premium, the break-even inflation rate narrowed during that, what turned out to be a very short window of time. But Clarida's conclusion is the failure of the personal consumption expenditure, which is a measure of inflation, whether you're looking at core or headline inflation, over the past eight years, to reach the 2% goal on a sustained basis probably led to lower inflation expectations. What's the Fed proposing to do about this? Powell says that the Federal Open Market Committee believes that downward risk to employment and inflation have increased, that inflation expectations are too low and sinking. And as a result, They want to change their strategy a little bit, and it's outlined in their revised Statement on Longer-Run Goals and Monetary Policy Strategy. The first thing is they're going to keep the inflation target at 2%, but they will be willing to let inflation run higher than 2% so that over time it averages 2%. Powell said, if inflation runs below 2% following economic downturns but never moves above 2%, even when the economy is strong, then over time, inflation will average less than 2%. Households and businesses will come to expect this result, meaning that inflation expectations would tend to move below our inflation goal and pull realized inflation down. They're willing to allow some higher inflation without immediately starting to raise their policy rate. He said there won't be some formula, mathematical formula, to define that average. They'll still have some flexibility around the inflation targeting, but they're not going to overreact when inflation gives above 2% because they want the average to be 2%. The second change is that unemployment, when it falls below the consensus for the natural unemployment rate, that won't automatically lead to an increase in the short-term policy rate. Powell says that if the unemployment rate fell below that natural rate of unemployment, it could do so, quote, without causing concern, unless accompanied by signs of unwanted increases in inflation or the emergence of other risk that could impede the attainment of our goals. Before, in the consensus statement, it talked about deviations in the unemployment rate. Now they've replaced deviations with shortfalls. 
Greg Ipp of the Wall Street Journal interpret that to mean unemployment can be too high, but never too low. Now, the Fed didn't come out and say that, but they will allow unemployment to stay low for a longer period of time without automatically fearing higher inflation rates. And combined with the willingness to let inflation run above 2% for a time in order to keep the average close to 2%, those are some significant changes. Now that this new policy consensus has been adopted, what's the Fed going to do now? Well, unemployment currently in the U.S. is clearly above the natural rate of unemployment, U-star. And interest rates are already incredibly low. The Fed has indicated or suggested they're not going to use negative policy rates. They will not set the Fed fund rate to negative. They could use more forward guidance, providing clear communication of when they might raise their policy rate. They could provide calendar-based guidance like they did in August 2011, where they said they would keep the Fed funds rate near zero until at least mid-2013 and later extended that to late 2014 and mid-2015. They could provide some threshold-based forward guidance, such as 2012, where they pledged to keep the policy rate near zero as long as the unemployment rate remained above 6.5%. So more forward guidance would provide motivation for interest rates to stay low. The Fed might announce additional asset purchases. The Federal Reserve was buying up to $350 billion of Treasury securities a week during the heart of the crisis. Now that's been about $20 billion per week. And as a result, the balance sheet has, has stopped growing. They could announce more purchases. I suspect the Fed would like to see the federal government do more from a fiscal side from a spending side. But the reality is, for inflation to take hold, we need the money supply to increase. There needs to be more money into the economy. And the primary way that money flows into the economy is through bank lending. And banks have been cutting back on their lending. If we look at the annualized 13-week rate of change for bank loans in the U.S., this is Federal Reserve data, Commercial and industrial loans have fallen back 29% over the past 13 weeks. Consumer loans, the growth rate's been negative 3%. They've also contracted, looking at the annualized 13-week rate of change. Real estate loans are up about 1.3%. There will probably not be inflation until we see banks lending again, the money supply increasing. It's just not going to happen from the Federal Reserve wishing it or through asset purchases or even through forward guidance. Businesses have to want to borrow money to invest. And eventually we get some capacity constraints. That could lead to higher inflation. So what do we do with our finances? We have these, these new policy changes, an average inflation target, the willingness to allow higher inflation rates. We still don't have inflation. We have very, very low interest rates, low yields, on bonds, and other asset classes. In episode 309 on financial repression, which I described as Federal Reserve and central bank policies that benefit borrowers due to low interest rates relative to savers who aren't able to earn as much on their investing, I outlined some investments that can help. I bonds, preferred stocks, dividend-paying stocks, harvesting the volatility risk premium. But the reality is, Cash flows are going to be low. Cash flow yields are low. Dividend yields are low. Interest rates are low. 
many of us as investors are going to have to take more risk, invest more in stocks so that our portfolios grow on a total return basis. We can't just focus on income because income yields are so low. It might be, and we had this discussion on the Money for the Rest of Us Plus forums, a member was thinking about taking out a, a mortgage. The mortgage rate was super low, and he wondered why the Fed was effectively giving him free money because his after-tax mortgage rate after adjusting for inflation was zero. And by taking out a mortgage, he was taking on leverage and would, le would leave him more resources to invest because that money wouldn't be going into his house as equity. So maybe we have to be selective in our use of debt and take advantage of financial repression. Clearly going to have to save more because we're earning less on our investments. And then buy less things. Keep our things longer. Keep them in good repair. We've tried to do this recently. It's not been a, a successful experiment. Instead of buying a new RV, let's, let's say a Sprinter van, we bought a 2002 Suburban that was converted into a camper. We paid around $15,000. It had 143,000 miles. We've put 4,000 miles on it, and we've spent an additional $7,000 on repair. This thing better last for three or four more years, because at this rate, I'm paying $1.50 a mile for this Suburban. I thought the BMW 650i that I got rid of that cost me a dollar a mile was horrendous, but I'm up to $1.50 a mile on this Suburban. I think it'll work out better. But the idea is keep things longer, keep them in repair, and be conscientious about our purchases because we're earning less than our investing. We have to be more conscientious with our spending. That then is episode 312. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com while you're there. Please sign up for my free weekly email newsletters called the Insider's Guide. I'll send you the links to that week's episode as well as an essay I do on money investing in the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes to that email list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.